Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. It's just gone 22 minutes past four. If you've just joined us, welcome to the Afternoon Overdrive on 101.9 Hi FM. I'm Michael McKenna. Media accountability. So how do we ensure that the media follows through on news until members of the public find some kind of justice enclosure to issues which have been going on, well, it's possible for, for years, in fact, with some, in some cases. Joining us now on the line, William Bird, Director at Media Monitoring Africa, to just delve a bit deeper into this issue. William, a very good afternoon to you, and thank you for joining us. Uh, good afternoon. Thanks for having me on the program. No, great, uh, great to have you on board, William, and thanks again once for making the time to just uh, go through exactly what is going on regarding media accountability. So, William, I'll throw it out to you. Is the media, do you think, doing enough to bring, um, at least bring uh, stories, you know, to the fore in an, in, an adequate, in, a, in an adequate way so that at least the public can be assured that, you know, one is on top of a situation. Uh, I, I give an example, uh, a state capture, for example. We had state, state capture, but uh, it seems as if it peters out here and there, and then suddenly we don't hear much, and suddenly you do hear something. So is the media doing enough, for, uh, using state capture as an example, yes, but there's many other examples one could think of, to at least, uh, you know, keep this going, to keep the public in touch, to make sure that uh, one is on top of the situation and uh, as I mentioned, to ensure that uh, it's dealt with uh, appropriately and accordingly. You know, ideally, you'd want them to, when they break a story, carry on with it and keep and keep it on the back burner so that at least mm-hmm. we know what's going on. Um, but very often, the, the, I mean, I guess there are two main reasons why we don't generally get that: is that one, they're, they're increasingly fewer and fewer journalists, and and the second is that South Africa is a completely crazy country. You know, on any one day there are any number of really critical stories that are mm-hmm. that, that are exposed and revealed, and often the journalists will get to that. They'll get the big they'll get the big story, and then it'll uh, disappear. And so, where that's a problem is that we hear about it, but then we don't hear. Well, was there anything done about it? And where that becomes a challenge is that it seems like then. We left with the impression that democracy doesn't work, right? You get a sense of, mm. well, they exposed this and then nothing happened. And while sometimes it may take a long, a long time, it's important to see that, that things do actually happen. So this whole idea is something that's increasingly recognized in journalism globally, mm. that it's really important for journalists not just to break the story, but to continue to follow through and, and mm. continue reporting on that story. So, as you say, with state capture, it's really key that we go beyond just the big numbers of who is involved in what and what kind of systems are being put in place to prevent that kind of thing happening again. Indeed. You know, the the, um, the Eobani uh, um, tavern disaster, where I think 21 people died, you know, it's a year yes. later, and we get stories that, that, that remind us it's a year later, but then we get the sense that nothing has actually happened. Um, And there are all sorts of issues like that. Indeed, and that's exactly what I was alluding to earlier on, William. You've just given a a shining example also as to, you know, things dragging out and things, you know, just suddenly petering out. Uh, I'm actually, in actual fact, I'm going to be unpacking that a little later on with another guest. But for now, um, do you believe the media is under threat? Well, it's it's modeled uh, to a large degree. I mean, aside from kind of, uh, media entities like yours, which increasingly, you know, if you've got a, a, a strong community support and strong relationship with the community mm. that you speak to, so a community of interest, those media entities are tending to survive quite well globally. Where entities are operating on a 
you know, purely commercial basis, and if they don't have a good relationship with their audience, their mm. models are profoundly threatened, you know, and even big media, we saw, you know, a few years ago, the big media and uh, the New York Times, uh, Washington Post, The Guardian, all of them, uh, you know, facing profound threat of, of existence, basically, yeah. right? they've kind of overcome that to degrees. But if they are facing that as a direct result often of this move to digitization, mm. you can bet that our media are are, are going to go through the same kind of challenges. And we're seeing that already now. So many of our small commercial media are just barely surviving. And the problem with that is, is that it means even fewer journalists are there to do their job. So then we as the public think our media are increasingly useless because they tell the story and then they don't finish up selling it. They don't then follow mm. on. Why aren't they following on this? And then we say, oh, but there was this big story in, in the area we live in and the media didn't even bother to report that. And then you get into that kind of really um, horrible spiral where people see that the media aren't able to do their job properly and that puts them in a profoundly threatening position. William, um, just to expand on that, I think what I, if we can come closer to home, just focus on our, our journalistic activities here and our reporting, media reporting. When I use the word threat, um, I, I use it in terms of, uh, you know, the, the, the media, in a sense, being like a whistleblower, so in a matter of speaking, revealing things where suddenly journalists feel that they're being threatened, uh, that, you know, if you take this any further, there's going to be an issue, if you can read between yep. the lines what I've just said. That comes into so play, too. We're really good in South Africa with practicing freedom of expression. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not like our journalists are facing threat of jail or, or something like that. But right. If you look at the case uh, involving Omar Bongani and the Morty uh, is a nice example where Instead of, you know, following due process, going to the press council, they, they went and launched a, you know, an interdict against uh, Ahmad Bungani. They're now in, in court and they've now launched a whole lot of counter applications. Right. And when you get that kind of approach, this approach of a slap suit, we've seen it against, um, Karen Warren, for example, by the right. former president. That kind of thing is, 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 is really and deeply, uh, worrying. And of course, even if they were the ones who sufficiently have access to resources, Many journalists in communities in South Africa don't have that kind of backup, and so they are going to be a lot less inclined to take the chance to expose that if they think either their life is going to be threatened or if they think they're going to be taken to court and they just won't be able to defend it. Indeed. William, sorry, getting back to the issue of journalists, do you think South African journalists have a short, perhaps a short focus span on breaking news stories and this also transpires to the public? Yeah, there's no doubt. You know, I mean, mm. things happen so quickly and so bizarrely in South Africa that it's. I suspect part of it is about the fact that the majority of our journalists, or probably most of the people in South Africa, suffer from extreme post-traumatic stress. Sure. Um, and one of the consequences of that is that it stops you from being able to follow, you know, logical, coherent, rational thought over a period of time. Right. And there's, and that's certainly one of the things that will probably help us explain some of the deficiencies in quality in our media. Indeed. William, um, very quickly, give us an overview of Media Monitoring Africa, its roles, objectives. Okay, so you monitor many platforms. So what do you believe is the most effective, unaffected, to the point, uh, and threatened? Which platforms do you think uh, are uh, susceptible to these uh, these uh, elements, as we've just been discussing? I mean, I think all of them are. You know, over the anyone, if they've got a, if they take an extreme dislike to any media, mm. if someone took an extreme dislike to your station, they could easily try and you know threaten you with slap suits. I think you've got a strong community that'll prevent sure. that. But 
doesn't mean you're not susceptible to it, mm. to disinformation campaigns. That's something that's increasingly common right. uh, in South Africa and globally. We saw a big story breaking on the weekend that the, uh, one of the board members of the SABC has been reported for editorial interference. Um, you know, so that's mm. the public mm. broadcaster. It's the biggest broadcaster in the country. Um, and they are susceptible to it. So you can, it's it, it's something that's, you know, because of the, the nature of, of the work that these organizations do, sure. they'll always be threatened. Indeed. William, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us this afternoon just to give us some background as to what is happening with media monitoring in our country and uh, globally for that matter and where things stand from a journalistic point of view. William Bird, Director at Media Monitoring Africa, what did you make of that? Uh, what do you think also contributes to this uh, dilemma that we face in the media.